Welcome back to the Can I Tell You Something podcast, episode four. Today we have something very special in store for you regarding the new 2023 Barbie film. I'm going to let Brendan give you a little preview of our schedule of events here. So this episode is structured in three general parts. First, we have your hopes and ideas of what this film could have been and what it actually became. And then we're going to go through the entire Barbie movie through the lens of my chicken scratch notes that I took throughout the film. Yes, he was just sitting in the theater, a packed theater, I might add, because we went on opening night. Yeah. Just scribbling away. (laughs) It was very silly to watch. I I have about 12 pages of this size note. This is like index card size. So there's a lot of thoughts in there. Then we're going to finally wrap this all up with how does Barbie fit within the backdrop of the current writer's strike and the current uh, SAG strike. Right. So without further ado, let's get into it. If you or a loved one likes the Can I Tell You Something podcast, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Can I Tell You Something podcast. That is Can I Tell You SMTH podcast. So, honey, tell me what you thought this movie could have been. I was so excited for the Barbie film. I think like a lot of people, as we all know, they've been doing so much marketing over the past couple of months. I would say it's, they've been generating a lot of buzz for this film. And I myself never grew up playing with Barbies, but all my friends did. And I obviously knew what it was. And I knew the impact that it had on specifically young girls. And I was hoping that this would be a deeper commentary on the effect of Barbies than it actually ended up becoming within the film. I knew that it wasn't going to be like the greatest feminist film ever made, but knowing that Greta Gerwig was directing it and co-wrote it, I definitely had higher expectations than what it ended up fulfilling, unfortunately. I'm... Curious, what what is it about Greta Gerwig's movies in general? What about them stand out to you? And where did you see that shine through in Barbie? And where where didn't it shine through? Sure. So Greta Gerwig, I have always noted, obviously as the most successful female director in our day and age. So when you think of female director, she's usually kind of the only one in pop culture that you'll think of. Another thing that she does that is notable is her fancy little monologues, usually about three quarters of the way through the film. And it's usually a very empowering, feminist, beautiful monologue from the main character. Barbie had that. It was pretty decent, I would say. One of the only good moments of the film. But the rest of the narrative fell so short. And that's not what she's known for. Something that I really like about her films is she will take a very complex issue, like any part of feminism, and make it really, really easy to understand for anyone watching. But that wasn't the case for Barbie. In fact, I I would have a very difficult time truly describing the plot of this film. Because it was taking so many different directions 
and side tracks and side characters for celebrities that shouldn't have even been in it in the first place. Oh, Will Ferrell. I, I think that there's a, a more obvious one. Dula Pipa. Why was Dula Pipa? Dupa Plipla. And John Cena? What was that? And how much were they actually getting paid? Dua Lipa shows up three times in this movie. Three separate times. Well, and she has the music video. I don't know if it's a new song. I'm not a Dula Peep stan. I don't know much about her. Sorry. But I, overall, I I was very let down by this film. I thought the message was absolutely beautiful. That's the only reason I really went to go see it because Barbie historically has been such a horrible company for women. And I thought that this was going to be a genuine rebrand. But for some reasons that we will get into from your notes, we can see how truly disingenuous this blockbuster film has been. Agreed. I I think the, the one principle I want to keep throughout this full episode is the, and this is how I understand plot. I I don't have the same film background as you do, so it's been a joy for me to take the way I see and understand the world and bring how you see film into that world too. So the way that I understand the the plot of Barbie, or that I want to analyze it through, is this idea of signal over noise and signal meaning the message, the plot, the core of the story and the noise being the extra details that didn't contribute meaningfully to that story. And Barbie is a very noisy narrative and it distracts from the signal because it's so noisy and the signal meaning those beautiful monologues, those, those moments where it just draws you in. Just off the bat, we thought that Margot Robbie did a fantastic job. Absolutely. Beautiful performance by yeah. her, as always. As always. She's say. fantastic. Um, but let's get into it. I want to get into the notes because... Into the juice. Did, so, yeah. But we do have to say, if you haven't seen the Barbie film yet, we're about to get into a boatload of spoilers. That is your warning. Leave now. We will also note when the spoilers end. Yes, if you want to jump around in the episode. Because yeah. we will get into some non-Barbie stuff here at the end. So this is your final warning. Final warning. Spoilers commencing in three, four, two, five, and one. one. That was the wildest countdown. I apologize. Uh, okay, so here I have Brendan's silly little notebook that he carries around with him everywhere in his purse, I might add. This is true. And <laughs> he did not tell me that he was going to be taking notes during the film. So this is all, I think, kind of spur of the moment. Just wanted to get the nitty gritty details down so we wouldn't forget because there were so many like, oh my gosh, did they really just do that moments in the film? Yeah. That there, it would be impossible to remember them all. So 
good on you for writing this stuff down. I, that's that's very much. I I was not planning on taking notes at all in this movie, and then the opening scene happened, and I'm like, I got to start writing things down. So <laughs> what we're gonna do here is I'm going to just read word for word what you wrote <laughs> in your notebook, and you're gonna give me a oh that's what I meant by it. Yeah. Type response. I think it's also going to be really fun because this will go very much chronologically through the whole movie. Yes. We can tell you what part everything's happening at. If you've seen the movie, this might be kind of fun to relive it this way. Definitely. So here we go. And another disclaimer, this is not us hating on the film. Like you said, I work in the film industry. I studied film production in college. This is kind of my thing. Yeah, I had such high expectations and this is my honest review because I think it would be very disingenuous for me to jump on the bandwagon and say, oh my gosh, best film of the year. No, it absolutely was not. And here's why. And here's why. Okay, so starting off with your first little scribble, we have Heart 2001 opening. I really like the opening. Uh, the the smashing dolls and the the tone of the opening I thought was very smart. It was yes. hilarious to me. It it got a great chuckle out of me. And I I in hindsight now wish that more of the movie had that sort of tone to it instead of the direction that it ended up going. But I did really love that opening scene. They really pull you in. Yeah. In the beginning. I, in the the shots of uh, the girl smashing the doll and like the face of almost, it, it feels very much like I remember being a child and having those, you know, wild emotions and this like smashing This isn't for things. you, little boy. Yeah. Don't even try and relate to that. Okay. Good try, though. <laughs> I tried. I can relate to that, though. Yeah. I, I thought the opening was great and it was really funny. The only thing is, I don't see how it related to much of the film beyond just the juice of that. Yeah. And because it is just a 2001 opening, it's it's a it's the same thing as interpolation in music. So it's you're citing some sort of source material. You're reskinning it for the plot or narrative that you're going to use, but it never shows up beyond that. So it right. makes it kind of confusing. And I think they were just trying to go for the camp yeah. vibe, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that <laughs> soon. Okay, next point you had, Smeg product placement. It was the second thing that I wrote down was a product placement bit, and that becomes a theme throughout it. This movie is a two-hour ad, in my opinion. Do you remember that Addison Ray movie that came out I yes. don't know, like a year or two ago? The one and where it, her arm gets cut yes, off? Yes, on the green screen. Yeah. And that was just one giant product placement yes. film. But in all honesty, the Barbie movie was no different. The next point, I'm going to just kind of lump all of these together. Mm-hmm. Fourth wall, Anubis co-cast, ideal world... Des- dose? Desk. Description. Description. Okay. few things. The fourth wall breaking in this movie, overdone. It gave me just someone saw Deadpool 
and was like, yep, 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 yep. This works here too. This works everywhere. I disagree. I I really liked it. I don't. You did. I think it was done right in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then a couple times sporadically through the film. I think you can break that wall. I just think that the it was almost like annoying. It held back the rest of the movie how much they tried to do it. Mm, I think that's a common thing with this is they have a lot of great little bits. Yeah, that are so overdone that you get nauseated by them. Yeah. By the end. And and this is where I wonder if it was screen tested to death and things kept on getting added and cut and added and cut until you get a movie that is great for general crowd appeal, but doesn't have much to come back to. Right. That's something we said immediately after we watched it is I'm never I don't feel the need to ever see this film again. Yeah. You watch it once and it's like, that. I get it. I got it. Okay, next. And I don't like films like that because something that I find so special about the best films and your most favorite films is you can watch them on like a yearly basis and have a different experience every single time you watch it. Yeah. Speaking of... House of Anubis. House of Anubis. For anyone out there who's a Sabuna. Sabuna. Um, for if you don't know what I'm referring to, <laughs> House of Anubis is like a 2010-ish Nickelodeon show that I think was the greatest Nickelodeon show ever made. And I happen to be re-watching it right now. But one of the characters <laughs> in Barbie was in House of Anubis, and I I was like, oh my gosh. House of Anubis alert. So Sabuna's Unite. Sabuna. And then the uh, last one, or can you, yeah, say what the last one I said was? Oh, it's irrelevant. Move okay. On. Yeah. The next one is men exhibit jealousy and they're the first bad thing. Bad thing in quotes. The The world that they're describing is hyper idealistic up until the men are introduced on screen, which totally makes sense in this narrative, in this structure, I I have more commentary about the men, but that That's will show up first, later. The first vibe you got. The first from vibe, them. I was like, okay, we get it in this world. Similarly, death as the first trauma, fatigue as second. I think that's fine. Yeah, I, I was trying to note the themes of becoming human. Um, for the death is the first trauma. That was more of like a personal note for me that thoughts of death have been, or was the, like the first thing that truly it, uh, it bothered me a lot at a young age. It's the first thing that I think triggered a lot of anxiety for me. So you could resonate. So I could resonate with it. And it, it felt like the becoming human bit is confronting mortality. Oh, so that's a part of the film that you really liked. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, I did too. Next thing, Smeg placement number two with gag. Do you remember what that gag yeah, the was? The gag was that the toaster flung out some stuff and it got on Margot Robbie. Oh. Yeah. Oh, with the burned yeah. waffle. That's like when she was realizing that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, boring. Blue weird pain aesthetic. Malfunctioned. What? What is the exact difference between worlds births births i don't know can i see how i wrote it 
See, this is the problem with writing in the dark. Yeah. These are a little difficult to decipher. Writing in the dark you is so difficult. You know when you go back and you look at like the little things you wrote as a kid yeah. when you didn't know how to spell? That's what this is giving. It, it no for hate, sure is. No oh, hate. 100%. Just the truth. I knew that it was going to be like that too. Because the other thing with writing down notes is that sometimes something will happen on screen and now your attention needs to be brought back to it. And then I forget my thought and I'm like, ah, I'll have another one. So care to decipher what blue weird pain aesthetic and more means? Yeah, I was I was noting that the once things start going bad for Barbie in the beginning and in the end, her wardrobe turns blue. Oh, and there's okay. like a very deliberate use of the color blue because in, from pink. Yeah, in Barbie Land, everything's pink, but there are a few blue elements. I and also the um, the the first thing that Ken does that feels like bad things can happen in this world is he runs straight into the plastic wave, yes. which is a big old blue thing. Right. And so you're pain. identifying the color. Yeah. Changes in the emotions that come with it. A little bit of color theory. Yes. Okay, next one. Literal Bork ad. Why is Dula Peep here? I loved the car flip landing. Loved the travel. Um, not Bork ad. Burke ad. There is... Borkenstocks. I, I would want to go back and literally time it out because there is an extensive Birkenstocks ad just thrown right in the middle of it well, for no it reason. Well, it started when her heels go from up to flat. Yes. And Weird Barbie says, do you want heels or the Burks? Right? Exactly. And then at the end of the film, she's wearing Burks. Yeah. Just get flirkin' flocks, people. But the, the thing that bothered me about it was... You you can make the the gag that Birkenstocks are more comfortable than heels and everyone's going to get it right off the bat. Like, yeah, those are the comfy shoes. Everyone wants to wear Crocs and Birkenstocks, the, the things that make your feet feel comfy. But then they just drew it out. And I forget who it is or the, the actress that plays Weird Barbie. Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon just is like holding up the shoes then like holds up the Burke right in the center of the camera all that stuff it was just it was a little in your face it was too much it like, was so every, on the nose everyone it wants the Burks yeah but you can convey that without shoving the logo down your gullet yeah got that okay why is Dula Peep here we're all asking yeah. that I I have no idea why she shows up a variety of times. And then with John Cena, that one came out of nowhere. Because to me, that just, it, we were saying that the Barbie movie has Marvel tendencies. And to me, that's a who's in the room moment. Right. It's like, how many celebrities can we get on one shot? Yeah. To get the most amount of people here. That was definitely Dula Peep's role. Yes. I loved the car flip landing and loved the travel. I agree with that. I thought like that was some of the juiciest design of the entire film yeah and i wish similar to how the opening had that style or had a style to it the the travel was great it was so playful it was it was the right style of camp i felt where it felt like everything was pressed two-dimensionally yeah and to me that was great i i really liked that but when you have barbie land shot so traditionally it's 
takes away from that. And also I love the, and this is just a me thing. I love the little animated clouds of pink um, dust that they had on the car flip and they yes. used it twice. So I was glad I got to see it again. That was really well done. I would yeah. Agree. But yeah, I wish it was more mixed medium like that in Definitely. the Barbie world. Ken narrates the exact male bad green screen. Ken becomes an incel question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I I was I was trying to see if they would start poking fun at incels. Yes. They did to some extent, I would say. Right. But it was it wasn't like it wasn't risky enough for it to actually be them poking fun at incels. It's just like poking fun at patriarchy in a very just general way. Horse, like horses was their big kind of symbol yeah. that they used of the patriarchy, which when Ken first found, like when he grabbed the books at the school, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. But then by the end where the horses were just everywhere, I was like, okay, we, we can come up with another there's so much to choose from with the patriarchy. Let's find something other than horses. I, Let's get some gamer gear here, some gamer chairs. Bada bing, bada boom, Mr. Incel in the room. I I wonder if the horse thing was because a lot of the Ken dolls involved horses. horses. Okay. But, and that, that's a clever nod to that, I guess, that I didn't get. Yeah. I never, like I said... I never had Barbies and I certainly would never have a Ken doll. So I don't know the the inner It's it and it's just a guess. But well I guess even for then, any of you out there, let us know if that is like a nod to the historical doll. Because then yeah. then that makes that gag better. It makes it better, but it still was like it was overdone. It wasn't Definitely. You could have just been wearing like mention it once, have the book. And then cowboy aesthetic. I think the more subtle you make that, the funnier it is. Right. It was a little too in your face. I, I think yeah. that was the issue with a lot of the ending when it becomes Ken, what was it, Kenland? Kenland, Ken, yeah. Ken Kingdom or something. It was too on the nose that it was a little annoying. Yeah. And and this is coming from someone I don't tend to like comedy, so that's that's definitely my own mental illness and issue. <laughs> but it I would have liked to see some subtleties there because the subtlety in such a absurd world plays so well, right? So okay, moving on. This is very endearing of you. I love the park scene; so simple but so moving. So that was a scene where Marco Robbie is For, first meets Ruth. No, that wasn't Ruth. That was just a random old lady, wasn't it? I thought it was just a rando. I, I think it was her. Oh, well, I'm gonna have to double check that because then that yeah. would really be sweet. For some reason, I thought it was just a rando. I mean, please it might tell have been. us if the park scene where I think she's at a bus stop. Actually, she's at a bus stop. And is that Ruth or is it an old rando? And please. I, I just, I love the the delivery of that line of just you're beautiful looking at her and it was mm -hmm. oh that really got you because you wrote crying at age comfort yeah because that's when barbie first confronts some mortality right and sees that it's not a horrible thing it's it's a beautiful thing it's what makes life life that's very sweet yeah. I think Barbie realized that too. Like that 
I agree that that scene, once they got out of Barbie world, mm -hmm. then it started getting good until, like you wrote, the Mattel executives are brought into it. The moment Will Ferrell was on the screen, I I definitely got icked. Icked I, yeah. big time. I, I'm going to be fully transparent. I like Will Ferrell in a lot of situations. I feel like my guess is what happened is they saw that he was really successful in the Lego movie. Lego being another toy company turned movie franchise. That also had a lot of random celebrities that in it. That had the celebrity stack. But the difference between the two... Or I don't know if there's any difference between the two. But it just felt like it was the... I guess oh, it was just eerily similar. It was eerily similar. So it was like, oh, they chose the the safe bet right. person to bring people into the theater. You wrote, male optimist was what I was thinking about. Dropped the fascist word. <laughs> so when I was trying to think of the the lens that they're trying to describe men through, because... Or it's it's the the optimistic perspective of men where nothing's wrong, and th it's oh they didn't mean it that way. You probably it's the gaslight with kindness mm. kind of feeling. They don't mean it that way. Oh, you probably misheard them. You mis you misunderstood what they were trying to say. Oh, you took it out of con like corporate core. Yeah. So that's the way that they describe masculinity a lot is like the the ignorant optimistic side but they don't talk like they don't dive into anything like tendency to break things violence the, like Ken well, could have been more clumsy he could have you know there are I, details I, I think they did though at the they end remember have. when that like the kens were all fighting each other oh yeah like, that was a big commentary on how violent like men solve things through violence yes yeah that's and, true that's true so i think they did do that yeah i rescind my good good <laughs> i rescind my comment okay so this is the part in the film i'm gonna show the camera if i don't know if it's gonna show up when things were starting to get a little silly in your brain because now you're just writing on top of other things. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard for me to decipher, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Okay. The capital isn't comfort, the commodity. Lies to get chores is great. Perfect versus just right. Ruth as perspective old lady, older woman. Literal Chevy ad. Comfort and safe. Literal car ad. Let me let me look at this page. Get a closer eye on that. What I got is the Chevy ads were, they were out of control. The Chevy placement was nuts. It really was. And I, I could tell from the first time that it was a blue car was on the screen. I knew it was going to be some giant car ad. I just didn't know it was going to... Oh, Rue didn't like that either. Yeah, I just didn't know it was going to be so absurdly overdone because they they have the the bad people drive the suburbans gag which that's always overdone and then they had whatever and i i kind of want to do a little i could make a whole listicle on the number of products that they placed in a the, listicle yeah i think we should we can do like a count 
Yeah. Because I'm sure it's it's going to be a high number. It's high. I, and if I go through all of these notes, I could probably get most of them. But Which I just want to say, to be fair, a film has to be pay- paid for somehow. It is just unfortunate to see how popular product placement has become to do that. And I, it's obviously from social media. We see it all the time. Like you were talking about today, how TikTok now just feels like the biggest ad. Yeah. And you never know if you're actually watching one or like you just don't know. And it's really unfortunate to see giant blockbuster films moving into that space as well because it feels really deceitful. I I cannot trust someone that is employed by or being financed by a company to review a product. It's a conflict of interest, pure and simple. But it's hard. It's like sometimes hard to find reviews that aren't. Exactly. And and I hope that our, I mean, for us, we're small enough where we ain't got money telling us what to say. So we can say everything stinks if we want to. Yes. But I, so the first one was the capitalist confronts the commodity. Mm. And so I, w- I wish that more of that narrative was around was fleshed out with how Barbie is perceived as an object and a means to a capitalist end. She is a commodity. She is to be bought and sold and put in a box. And but who produced this film? Oh, was it Warner Brothers Discovery in partnership with Mattel? So they can't push that narrative because no. the only reason this film was made was to do a giant rebrand for Barbie. Yes. Okay. We all know that in the t- in the days of old, Barbie was god awful for women, just truly horrible. Yeah. And then in the past couple of years, they made their woke little YouTube channel trying to become little girl power, girl bosses, and then they've like released more diverse dolls, if you will. And oh, look what comes along: the Barbie movie, a giant rebrand ad to get the people that they've hurt to like them and to start buying their products. Because notice how the movie doesn't center around the girl playing with the Barbies. It's the mom because the people that have been hurt are mothers now. Oh, I was actually going to completely disagree. I think it's so for instance, when we were in line at the Barbie movie, if you look around, it's all kind of like Gen Z aged women, like yeah, no, early twenties right, to right. mid twenties, because we are the demographic that has identified issues through capitalism and feminism, right? Yes, actually, you yeah, continue. And we were the ones who were truly, truly playing with Barbies, like in Barbie's last hurrah essentially. And now we've grown up and identified how tragic they were. But somehow we all showed up to the theater wearing pink. I was wearing pink. I was so excited. I was so into it. It was it was phenomenal marketing. Yes, they like they are really a case they're study targeting in marketing. The last demographic that doesn't like them. And they have successfully flipped so many 
because when we mm -hmm. left the theater, everyone was raving about it. And we haven't seen really a single bad review that isn't Ted Cruz. Did you see the Ted Cruz no, thing on Fox I did, News? I did not. He is so anti-Barbie. And I want to make it so, so clear that we are not anti-Barbie film. We are just criticizing who made this film and why it was made. Yes, this is not this is not a let's all pile on the Barbie hate train. Right. We want to separate from that entirely. This is just our honest review because it's a media in the critique. middle of the strike, which we're going to get into. I can't help but feel like this Barbie release date was purposefully placed to act as a distraction for what is actually going on and making you feel like this is a genuine feminist tale when all it is at the end of the day is a giant marketing scheme. It's a, Don't it, fall it's for a it. two hour presentation on the Barbie rebrand. That's all it is. They're like, let's tell you a story and rebrand at the same time. I, I really think that for for reference in how this plays into the strikes those contracts that the unions have are set to expire at specific dates right the reason why the actors went on strike is because their contract expired they had already authorized a strike and so they did that's the same reason the writers went on strike their contract expired they didn't have a new one so they went on strike and the studios have known about these dates forever for years so all of this like don't be deceived all of this was 100 percent planned out by warner brothers and mattel percent who produced it and i just think about the money follow the money a little bit is there any financial incentive to authentically critique this movie no we know we're going to get hate from this, actually. It's like we talked about, hey, our closest friends, everyone we know, everyone on the internet, people we follow are raving about this film. And I think that what we want to do is, I, I'm of the opinion that everyone deserves better than just Barbie. And I, I last night I went to bed, I was, I was feeling a bit upset about it, but then this morning... I woke up and I thought about how this movie's akin to corporate pride in a lot of ways. And I loved that comparison. Can you give a little yeah. a deep dive, if you will? So corporate pride for, for everyone listening has always been thought of as corny, cheeky, a little bit over the top. Disingenuous. Disingenuous is probably the biggest word to describe it. But it wasn't until this year when it started getting rolled back and it started getting suppressed that people of the LGBTQ community were, there was, it was a sense of loss. It's, it's, they didn't, I didn't realize what it meant to just have the, the corporate standard of pride is good and, not only that, but pride is great because once you lose it, you realize that all that stuff is very temporary and right. it's dependent on how we interact with the world on every day or every single day. And so to me, at least, I think that part of the reason why you see such positive reviews for Barbie is because this is the first 
instance where a concisely feminist movie, like a strictly feminist movie, is a blockbuster, is a one of the highest funded movies of the year, if not the highest. So let's talk about that real quick. I think you yeah. have the budget for this film oh, printed out. You came ready with your receipts. So give us give us the budget of Barbie and what it's expected to make. The movie has a budget of $145 million. Okay. Which, to be fair, was lower than I was expecting. Right. I, I thought it was going to be 200 mm-hmm. which not a big difference there. But I want to offer just a quick reference to what that means for film. The smallest and kind of most insignificant indie films can be made from anywhere between 10 to 20,000 all the way up to 5 million. That is considered to be a very small budget. And once you get anywhere higher than that, especially higher than 100 million, now we're in Hollywood blockbuster territory. This is not an indie film. It was never intended to be an indie film. It was produced by one of the big five studios, Warner Brothers, in conjunction with one of the biggest toy companies in the world. And and so I, I have numbers on Mattel, too, because you need to think about the Barbie movie is a piece of intellectual property. It's an investment for them. That's all it is. This is a financial decision. They cut the check. That's it. The sales and revenue for Barbie last year were $5.43 billion. Just of the, the selling the toy and all their branded yeah. stuff. Whew. With a gross income of $2.43 billion. Just from Barbie. Or this is Mattel. Oh, okay. Mattel as Mattel a in general. I wonder what percentage of Barbie fits into their income. We probably don't have access to yeah. that information, but... It'd be interesting to see. But just think about it. The the cash that's flowing through Mattel as a whole, $145 million is not much. Because no. every like this movie's been in production. I, I looked it up. This movie's been in production for almost 10 years, if not 10 years. So over that period of time, I have the numbers going back to 2018 printed out. 2018 was 4.5 billion. Then it's another 4.5, 4.6. 5.5 or 5.46 and then we have four, 5.43 this year. Okay, so they've been steadily growing. Yes. And I did not know that the film had been in production or at least being thought of for 10 years. That means that in this time, that's when the YouTube channel was rolled out. Yes. That's when their Netflix series rolled out mm-hmm. and all of their new diversified dolls. So you can tell that Mattel and specifically the Barbie brand have been working on this for years, long before you could have ever known that a film was coming down the pipeline. Exactly. That is so disturbing to me because that makes me feel like someone got to Greta Gerwig and was thinking, oh, if we get her, we can brand this in a completely different way. Because the the catch for them, the the moment that they could bring it to life and bring it to the press was when they got Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie. Right. That was the, they could bring it to the Gen Z press. 
is what you're saying. I, I, think, I, I think that that's when they announced it. Like, no, definitely. I, what I'm saying is I think Greta Gerwig writing the screenplay and directing it was a very, very deliberate move. And it might not have been as successful if they had gotten someone else, especially a more right-leaning type of person. And Greta Gerwig is very much the opposite and has historically made feminist films. So they were probably always thinking of her or someone like her from the get-go. Yeah. I hate that. They were waiting. Hate that. Because they were waiting to see... What I would imagine is they're waiting to see if there was a woman that could direct it that would have enough like name recognition, right? Which we, like I said in the beginning, is always going to be Greta Gerwig. Yeah, in this in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three, will always be. And so then also think about it this way too. This is a company that throughout this pipeline have had, I would estimate around 40 billion dollars flow through it during production 40 billion dollars so 145 million dollar budget nothing that's pennies drop in the bucket it's a write-off oh my gosh it's a write-off they have so much cash to blow if you don't want to pay taxes make a barbie movie and this is such an effective way to do it because we've seen all of the marketing i think has been very distracting during the strikes yeah as well and like we know that the oppenheimer cast walked out of their press shout out but barbie cast didn't and this is no hate on Margot and the other people involved i understand um kind of the nuances of their contracts and they have been questioned about this in the media and they you know are saying they support it that's great it's just i really caution you all to look at the differences of how these press run, press runs were managed because it's it's very interesting in the midst of how heated the strikes are becoming right now yeah and i when we also talk about how subtle and subversive this marketing is i remember i mean it was probably middle of the winter, if not earlier, where you're saying that you're seeing the idea of the pink that you're wearing right now becoming the most like popular color again, or it's being pushed. I in, knew it was going to be like the color of the year. It was going to be the color mm-hmm. of the year. And guess what? That perfectly lines up with Barbie. Right. Do you know how easy it is to slip a check to a designer to make pink stuff? And a winter. Like this is all the, the marketing is very deliberate and it goes much further than just the press run for the for the film, like the past couple weeks that they've been on tour. It's marketing is psychology. Don't let the oh, this is an ad fool you. And it's it's okay to like the film and, yeah. and like Barbie. It's not that. It's just like don't don't worship something especially in the midst of a strike because you're just you're further harming the people that bring this content and make these beautiful films for you people like greta gerwig yeah i love her you know i always will yeah but i i was very let down by this film well meaning that don't let the marketing distract you from people that make fantastic films and what goes into them and the people that 
need to be paid to make these films possible. Right. I, I would hope that if anything, this episode of the podcast can clue you in to how important our writers and our crew are to continue to bring these amazing and beautiful films to life. I I want to verify this too, but I want to say that the the terms that the writers are asking for, there's a financial estimate for how much they're asking for. All around, all the terms met, this is how much they would get. It's less than a billion. For all writers across the board? All writers. For like a however long their contract is? Yeah, that's it would cost studios less than a billion dollars combined for all the writers to get what they need. Like, cut your losses. And we'll talk about that with the A24 side of stuff because there is an interesting concession being made in this labor movement. Yes, with but with that, let's continue on our okay, Barbie. Yes, because I think we're only a couple pages into the notes, and I, I, yeah, I'm, we I'm can sen- rapid fire. I'm some sensing of this. it's going to get juicy here. Yeah. Okay. You wrote horses are men extenders, human into simple dad Barbie, Ken masculine. Why John Cena and second doula peep? The amount of framed Chevy ads and Adidas ads. Why so many horses? The indigenous people's acknowledgement, Ken Metallica logo. There, there's a. I thought that there was a very nicely, subtly placed indigenous people's acknowledgement because they talk about the the defense, like the immune defense to patriarchy, mm. and how it wipes out an entire culture, yeah, an entire world with having little to no defense against it. So I thought to me at least that was But that was that your interpretation of that? And I think it was my interpretation. Which is I think that that's a sign of a good film and good writing. Mm-hmm. So hats yeah. off to them. Okay. Cowboy equals Texas Yamaha ad can remorse through pun. <laughs> Life is all change. I was perfect before. Blue blue costume pain in Barbie world. Yeah, another blue costume bit. The blue was just on your mind. Here we have Margot Depression Barbie meme, Margot Robbie better in sorrow. Alan it, fighting men. Oh, we we got to talk about the character of Alan. Yeah. You can't make it perfect. Weird, dark, crazy. This is an interesting little page you've got here. Yeah, so some of the stuff there, I was trying to figure out what words they were using to describe this idea of the transformed Barbie. Oh, weird Barbie, dark Barbie, crazy Barbie, depressed Barbie. Like these are, right. they're all deliberate words that they choose because the words have to be really relatable to a lot of people. Right. You can't, you can't just throw a big old word for the sake of throwing a big old word in there for this kind of movie. It has to be concise, punchy with every word you say. It's like a pop song. It, it, Everything has to be written very deliberately. You got $145 million. You're looking over everything. And only two hours. And and I want that $145 million to... I want you to keep that in mind because there are some terrible green screenshots. There is not great quality control on this movie, I thought. I would agree. And it, so what are, you, what are you paying for? Talent. You're paying for talent? Talent, set design... 
that's it. Marketing budget. And marketing budget. That's what we have to figure out is how much of that budget mm-hmm. went into marketing or if there's a separate I think it, they would define it separately. Probably. Because it's it's too complex. Like there's movies specific, but then there's things like getting the color pink to show up on runways and... It runs deep. It runs deep. Pink runs deep. What um, What would you say about Alan? You wrote Alan fighting men. I... It was... Okay, so there's a moment where Alan has to fight off a bunch of Kens to... When they're trying to get out yeah. of Barbie world with the mom and daughter. And I thought that... I mean, it's interesting because Alan's supposed to be like the the antithesis of patriarchy. Right. The, the, the an- feminist man, if you will. The feminist man. And it was the idea... I wish that there was some more subtlety in terms of what it means to be like an ally with it. For, for men. Yeah. But instead, Michael Sarah just punches a bunch of Kens. Resorting to violence. Resorting to violence, which that could be a, a so commentary in itself. So how is he any different? Exactly. And so that's where the subtlety could have been really nice. If if Alan just somehow just kept taught, like sweet talking him down and like de-escalated things for, for the Kens being all wound up and macho, I think that that would have been a lot more powerful that right. he's he's like, you know, you have this buildup of static electricity as in the Kens and he just touches it, it zaps through him. And he's like, no, you're diffused. Relax, you're good. But maybe that was also a point to say that it's very difficult for men to separate themselves from violence. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think there's multiple interpretations. Which would there. make it written half decent if there are right. multiple like, interpretations. I, I actually really liked the character of Alan. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me either last night or today how you thought he was similar to, I don't remember the character's name, but the actress America something's husband, the dad in the film who had like two lines and one of them was a Duolingo ad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that Alan was similar to the husband in that it represents, if you think about them as both being feminist allies the biggest thing that they do for the entire film is get out of the way. Yeah. And it makes me think of, uh, there's a funny bit in the, in Bo Burnham's inside where it was, uh, I forget the exact quote, but it's, it's hilarious. The sock puppets talking about like, like why do you white people look through everything with the myopic lens of your own self-actualization? Mm. it's like either get with it or get out of the effing way. I like that. It was, and to me that was like, okay, it's the general idea. Sometimes the best way to be an ally is just to get out of the damn way. And Alan understood that. And Alan, uh, Alan understands that really well. And so that bit I thought was good. And, and the husband too, the, the mother daughter have to go on the adventure and the husband's just at home doing Duolingo, not hurting anyone. Oh, Side note, though, I have seen Duolingo really advertising for the Barbie film on TikTok. Yeah, so confirmed. And and they did it subtly. They just did the Duolingo sounds. But I, to me, at least, that's like Duolingo is really good at marketing. We so, know that. But that's to me, that's a little scary because they didn't even have to drop 
the word Duolingo or flash a logo for you to know what he was playing on his phone. Exactly. And now like I, you know, the Duolingo bird. Yeah. Has is like on the Barbie runway. Yeah. And, and Duolingo had a, um, a collaborative ad campaign with du- uh, Dua Lipa because it's duo and Dua. Right. And Dua Peep is part of this. Mm-hmm. Big ad alert. The plot thickens. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is a juicy thing you wrote down. Feminist revolution. You've never seen the Godfather. <laughs> I loved that. I also loved in the film how they dropped the BBC Pride and Prejudice part. I had to explain to you what that yeah. meant last night, but it, it was so niche. And it's little jokes like that that made the film genuinely interesting. And I wish they had more of that instead of the like gag, just all the annoying things that Ryan Gosling was doing that made everyone laugh. Uh, ugh, that, that was too much. But the, the Godfather... And BBC Pride and Prejudice, that was Juice City. Yeah. I loved that. Me me too. You also wrote down men in sports, quote unquote, let me show you. Men in power over each other, question. Okay, now we're writing upside down. Pink jumpsuit gives union aesthetic. Care to uh, elaborate? Yeah. It, so what's interesting is when all the Barbies are unified at the end. Mm-hmm. They're all wearing the pink jumpsuit or big pink jumpsuits, right. which I know that the cast and crew was wearing on the film because Greta Gerwig always has casting or like or not or has the crew dress up alongside um, the actors so they can feel more a part of the set and scenery. Oh, I didn't know that. And so they're all wearing pink jumpsuits throughout filming it. Interesting. Um, and and to me, like I could see it along the uh, what's the. And I'm I'm gonna feel like such a such a butt for not knowing the name of it because of like me positioning as a feminist. What's the little what's the ad with the woman that goes like that? Like you know I know what you're talking about. I don't know what what uh, name it has. It 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 gave me a lot of that energy. It it's giving the millennial feminist girl boss core. A little bit. Well, I, I'm sure Greta Gerwig is a millennial. But I also think that when you choose a jumpsuit, too, because everything is intentional, you choose a like a jumpsuit like that, that is a very labor-specific piece of wardrobe. That's so interesting how it fits with the, the strike right now. So just think about that. Like, I, my... My heart hopes that that's a nod towards the general idea that big productions, big things like this, they are created by people. People is plural. It's not created by a person. Barbie is not Margot Robbie. The movie is like, go through the IMDb thing. Look at all the people. Sit through the credits and look at all the names that were involved. It's not in this film. Although the credits did have the ice spice and that was annoying, but yeah. aesthetically it was very juicy. Okay, crying mini fridge. The mini fridge was an interesting juicy part, I thought. I patriarchy left. I thought that the mini fridge thing was juicy just for me because Could you relate to it as a as a boy? As a boy. I there there is this love for mini fridges that I think a lot of men have 
for some reason. Interesting. Think about it this way. You, if you go to college, which is stereotypically the place where a lot of young men drink. Yes. What's in the mini fridge? Beer. Brewskis. Have you ever tried to do anything with a mini fridge that's like, or that, okay, let me rephrase this. How functional are mini fridges? Are they actually an enjoyable thing to use? Is that a well-designed object? Not at all. They're all cheap pieces of garbage designed to be thrown away. So, But it was funny when Ken came to that realization. Yeah, so I like the fact that let's acknowledge that mini fridges are inherently trash. And so are men. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. Guitar meme. Who I love are a good, you? Who oh, are you texting? Violence into theater. Ken fight is wild. And then Supreme Court. There was a lot of name dropping of the Supreme Court. There was. So there I, was. I think that that's worth noting. Um, the 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 politics side of it and discussing how women don't have a seat at the table. Exactly. There there was, and and I'm wondering. Um, was it Katanji? Brown Jackson. Mm -hmm. So she wouldn't have been sworn in by the time this movie was being edited and all that. So they're in not to say that she's the perfect idealist representation of what a feminist on the Supreme Court looks like, but she's the best we got right she's now. The best we got. Mm -hmm. So she's not the, the other one. Who's the other white woman? Amy Coney. Barrett. Yeah. She's like the worst representation. Yeah. So, you know, yeah okay next little bit now it's just getting very difficult to read Cassie, ruth is mattel the lady spirit of origin maybe i'm not barbie symmetry irs creator and control phases of existential crisis identity as ken is me oh okay so the the ken is me bit I actually, so, and I, I started writing stuff down like a longer reflection to kind of work through my thoughts, but the Ken is me bit, I actually thought was maybe the best, that would be the best point that they made towards what it means to be an ally within patriarchy. And it's the idea that if you're a man, you inherently have power within the patriarchy. Right. And the only way f to push towards not just equality, but equity is to let go of your power in it be, be like, let go of your patriarchal power. And when you do, you separate yourself from the social institution that is patriarchy, the boys club, the every night is boys night part of it. And you have to internally reflect and think about who you are as a man as an individual separate from separate any woman in your life or someone that you're trying to be yeah who are you as an individual alone with your thoughts whatever that is isolated from the patriarchy itself is the most difficult thing that i think that men that become feminists have to address. Because I think about how I define myself outside of 
patriarchy because it's it has to be a conscious effort to identify patriarchy and to find how you identify outside of it. You have to be always working at that. You can't just st- like sit still and say, "Oh, I respect women, therefore feminist." It's constantly realizing you're you're wrong. It's constantly realizing what you assumed is not how it is. And so it is the the internal reflection, the self-actualization bit, the identity bit. That's what's going to push you to be a better ally. Thinking for yourself, huge bit of it. And also listening to the women in your life and outside of it that are telling you what you're doing and the actions you're taking are directly hurting them. And I think they they showed that when, you know, Margot was the one kind of walking him through, or Barbie, not Margot, mm-hmm. was the one walking Ken through finding his identity. The only problem I had with it was just who Ryan Gosling is at his core annoys me so much. And all of the silly little gags that they were throwing in, I think really distracted from the actual message and was therefore diluted and lost. Yeah. I, because the, for me, the only thing I liked about the Ken is me bit is the words because it made me think of, I think therefore I am. Mm -hmm. And so what was that? You know, at the end when he was wearing that merch, the camo. I am Knuff. Yes. And you were thinking that, oh, that they're going to start selling that. Yeah, they are. Not that exact one, but the, there are. It's already. Yeah. It's one of the products that they're selling is, is an I am Knuff. Is it through Mattel? Yep. Wow. And, and what else are they selling? So pretty much any A-lister that was featured in that movie has a Barbie doll that's also being sold. With whatever costume they were wearing. Exactly. And you can get all sorts of Barbie merch that was found in the movie. They're also to think about that they're really trying to push Barbie land. I found, I forget where it was I was when I was doing research for this, that, I mean, Mattel had a seat at the table for every single creative decision that was right. made throughout this film. One of the big things that they were pushing for is the branding of Barbie land, which to me says, guess what? Wouldn't be surprised if there is some sort of theme park that shows up out of this, a Mattel-based theme park. That's terrifying to me. Yeah, because that's what Disney did. That was the Disney direction. And it Lego movie, Lego Land, Universal. Has Lego all Land their was stuff. before Lego movie. Way before Lego movie. Oh, okay. So Legoland, I will put a little pin in and say, I okay, to be fair, I am You're a Lego stan. I'm a Lego stan. I'm biased towards it. I recognize it's all plastic and I recognize that it's overpriced, but there are a lot of things that I do like about Lego. So that well, I think that's fine. You can love your childhood toys Mm -hmm. and grow up and realize that they are just a giant company. Yeah. But you can still love those memories that are attached to it or the feeling that it gives you, but it is also your responsibility to be critical of these giant corporations. Yeah. Now that you can kind of wrap your head around it more. Yeah. What I was actually going to say is I would have wanted to see a Barbie film that was not produced or sponsored in any way by Mattel. That I think would have, Ruthie is dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Ruth. I'm going to redo this. Yeah. Rue, stop. Thank you. I wish that we could have seen a Barbie film that was neither produced or sponsored by Mattel. Because that would have been the only way to get a genuine critique 
of Barbie. But like you said, because that they had a seat at every single creative direction meeting, the true narrative that needed to be told, the negative impact that could have been unpacked was is now not possible because their marketers are saying, well, we can't show the truth of our brand to the audience. They can, so that's what makes this film fall truly short is who actually produced it is Barbie. They controlled the entire narrative. It, it wasn't Greta. It wasn't Margot. It was Mattel. It was Mattel all along. Ah, no! shoot. Um, 100% that. That a thousand times over. I, I wish that we could live in a world where Mattel sh- walks up to Greta Gerwig's front door, knocks on it and says, hey, here's the IP rights to Barbie. Make a movie, give a budget, and then we will leave until it's released. That would have been a better way to do it. That would have been my Barbie dream world. That would have been your Barbie dream world. I'm getting a phone call. I'm going to let this ring out. Mm-hmm. Bing, bong, bong. It's the juice. I know. I'm just going to text her quick. We're doing great, though. We're at an hour 10. How long do you want to go? Because it'll get cut down. We're almost to the end of year. Mm -hmm. Get a drink too. So the final few notes you have in your notebook, I find pretty juicy. First of all, we have yet another Chevy and Duolingo ad through Alan and the husband. And then the final line, I'm here to see my gyno. And then you wrap it up with Nikki and the barbs. Nikki and the barbs. Yeah. I, so. I thought the gyno line was funny. Uh, Gyno line was funny. I thought that she was going to be interviewing for a job. I thought so too. You did? Okay. And so. I think that that was the intention too, is to make it look exactly like that until it wasn't. Also, the gyno bit fits in with the Supreme Court bit too. Interesting. So, so yeah, that's, I really like that. I actually didn't make that connection until just now. That's why I write weird things in dark places. Good for you. <laughs> that, that sounded really <laughs> weird to describe my note taking, but yeah. Well, it it helped us out here. And Nikki and the Barbs, I, if you see yeah. this film, it, at least where we saw it, they were running Barbie music videos before it. And one of them was a Nicki Minaj song. Obviously, the Barbs got to yeah. represent. I appreciate that they extended the phone call to Nikki, but within the context of this movie, it now makes me feel really ick about it. Why? Why do you think that is? I think it's that I. This is where I'm gonna pull into intersectionality. Ah! Uh, oh no, um, the elephant in the room. Yeah. So I I think that the pulling in 
Nikki could have been an opportunity to start poking and prodding at the intersectional narrative that should be existing in popular feminist movies. Or any media. Or any media. But it just wasn't there. And and I because I was trying to figure out what it was that differentiates the the neoliberal feminism versus intersectional feminism. So we all know that there are multiple phases and eras of feminism, four to be specific, right? And the first two don't don't acknowledge or even talk about intersectionality at all. It's just for white women. And then three, and then the era we're in now, are like just kind of starting to touch on that. And I think the film got around having to acknowledge that by employing a racially diverse cast and kind of calling it a day. That that was all they did. They yes. made the president black and a few Ken dolls not white. And they're like, yep. We did it. We cured we, racism. We can, we can check the DEI box. No, you can't. You didn't even acknowledge it. And and this is not to because I think that the the inherent criticism that people our age get, especially from conservative crowds, is that oh, what do you want? Like every single identity under the sun to be represented in this movie? Absolutely. Like no, 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 it's impossible. It's impossible. But you can't make a feminist piece of media and then just not acknowledge it. Then it, it's not feminist. And so I, that's the the challenge that I had was trying to like put my finger on what it was that made this feel off, disingenuous. Because I think it it can be a great moment for us to understand what makes good feminist media versus very neoliberal feminist media that's what this movie felt was straight white middle-aged women and their daughters loving this film and that's who it was made for and so the the question i have is where does intersectionality fit in the barbie universe well we know that they've been trying to you know redo their dolls and bring in different skin tones and professions and disabilities is their newest kind of campaign. And I think that's all great. That is a, a change that they absolutely needed to make. And I'm glad they did it. But like I said, you can't make a feminist film or make any commentary on feminism without acknowledging how different women are impacted by it. If you want to listen to our program, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or check us out on social media, on TikTok and Instagram, and perhaps threads at Can I Tell You Something Podcast. That is Can I Tell You SMTH Podcast. Thank you. So we touched on some themes of intersectionality towards the end of our Barbie critique and analysis. 
And I think that that's a really good transition into the current strikes going on with the WGA, the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. Yes, WGA, for those who don't know, Writers Guild of America, SAG-AFTRA, Screen Actors Guild. And for some quick summarizing points with that, the WGA has been on strike for over 70 days now. They started these strikes. They are a smaller group of people. There are fewer members in the WGA than SAG-AFTRA. SAG-AFTRA is huge. Right, because that embodies pretty much everyone else beyond writers. Exactly. And so the most notable thing that's going on right now is not just the halt in production, but there is one company, one production company that's been able to resume. And that's because that they they agreed to the terms and conditions that were brought up in these strikes. The new contract that these that the union's trying to negotiate is being honored at A24 specifically. And there is a a kind of disappointing narrative that's going out that I want to bring some attention to because it's really important to pay attention to the details of a labor movement. 824 is not as big as the other uh, major, the big five. 824 is not one of them. Right. And, and we say big five and sometimes big three as those are the biggest studios that have been around pretty much since the dawn of Hollywood. That's like MGM, Warner Brothers, now Disney, Paramount, those huge, huge studios that are producing the majority of the films that you see. The interesting part of that, the little dimension is now streaming and how like Netflix, Prime, Hulu, now they're considered just as large corporations and studios. So when we talk about A24, they are significantly smaller but they are also not classified as indie either. And that's the disappointing narrative that we've been seeing specifically on TikTok. To kind of give you some context here, we do have one that we're going to play for you now that kind of summarizes what people are saying about A24. The Hollywood strike could lead to an indie movie renaissance, and A24 is showing us the proof. A24 has just announced two brand new projects. Death of a Unicorn stars Paul Rudd and Jenna Ortega. All we know about this so far is that a father and daughter run over a unicorn on their way home. Also just announced was David Lowery's Mother Mary, starring Anne Hathaway, Michaela Cole, and Hunter Schaefer. But how is this possible? Wouldn't that make them scabs? Isn't this crossing the picket line? Actually, no. Writers and actors are protesting unfair labor agreements by the AMPTP. It's essentially a conglomerate of all the major Hollywood studios. And with the permission of the union, A24 and other indie filmmaking companies can continue to make movies during the strike. And so far, SAG has approved 39 indie films that can continue production. This is actually a huge win for the unions, which will really help their efforts during the strike. They're agreeing to pay their workers for what the unions are asking for, which really shows that their demands are very reasonable and the big Hollywood studios are just being greedy. So while this is a win for striking workers, it's also probably going to ignite a renaissance of high quality indie cinema. So I just want to be clear with this. I We don't disagree with everything that's covered here. We're just talking about the narrative of A24 and indie films. And so naturally with any labor movement, there are going to be concessions. And so what you're seeing right here are instances where needs are met and therefore the union will accommodate and say, okay, the strike is off if our needs are met. So what it's doing is it's putting more pressure on the big studios. That's all it's doing. 
It's in A24's best interest too, because they started off as branding themselves as an indie film studio, but able to appear on, you know, able to appear in theaters with these other major studios. That's their whole brand. They want to appear indie. That's okay. We we really like a lot of the A24 films. Oh, I I love them. Yeah. There there are some of my favorite films that have come out in the past decade have been A24. But they are not an indie studio by any means. So, why don't you bring out the receipts oh. that can help educate us as to why they are not technically an India indie film studio. So, when we think of an indie film studio, I, I first actually want to ask you how big first how big is an indie film budget and maybe how big is an indie studio? So I would say that the average indie film, which indie means not produced or funded by a larger studio or a substantial sum of money, would fall anywhere between scraps and pennies to five million dollars which might sound really high to those who aren't familiar with how film budgets work. But for reference, like Barbie and other blockbusters are made for several hundred million. So there's quite the leap when you're going from either under a million to five million, all the way to a hundred million up. Additionally, indie crews are typically extremely small. We're saying under 100 people to make an entire film, give or take. Whereas blockbusters can have up to like thousands of people working, whether directly or indirectly, on the film. So we know that A24 is going to fall somewhere in between those two metrics. So why don't you enlighten us. Yeah. So this is where I want to bring in another metaphor for thinking about the big studios versus a 24 big studios for people that like some tech jargon. It's your fang companies. That's your Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google type companies. And a 24 is a startup anomaly because They cross the billion dollar threshold, which in the startup world makes them a unicorn company. So in 2022, so this is before the latest Oscar cycle, which they swept with everything everywhere all at once, which great film. Yeah. And, and for reference, we were talking about what they might be valued at now. And it's, it's at least double whatever this estimate is because of that award show press. But they fundraised $225 million for 10% of the company, which makes them a $2.5 billion company. They are a not just a billion-dollar company. They are a multi-billion dollar company. And currently they're sitting at or they're sitting at over five billion dollars, we can assume, purely based off of just the way that numbers work in this industry. Right. Now, if we were to compare that to the largest studios. Of course, it it doesn't come close Mm -hmm. to those. But this is no small film studio either. And so what we really wanted to make clear is, yes, everything in the TikTok that we showed about them putting pressure on the, the big studios to make change, that is very true. But don't get it in your head that they're the good guys either. 
Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. They're simply doing what they should have been doing this whole time. And I wouldn't say that that deserves praise necessarily, but more so, okay, good for you. Let's move on. To use an episode-specific reference, they're the Allens in this situation. They got out of the way. Oh my gosh, they're ally. Ally. A24 ally. I will say enough props because they don't have to do that. And I know it's the right thing to do, but remember, this is a landscape where every little win counts and it leads to the bigger win, which is getting everyone that's working on films back to work with fair wages, with deals that reflect the current film landscape. That's And so that's the biggest thing I want to talk about with this. A24, props to them. They're basically the terms within the agreement. We've looked over them they would be able to satisfy a lot of the more long-term employment parts of it, more stable income parts of it. But what they can't do is guarantee anything about streaming residuals. They can't guarantee how people will be paid with the use of AI. Right. So there's a lot of that strike left out that they have no power to do to create change with. So they're one piece of this equation but there's still so much more to do that unfortunately only the big studios can manage because A24 isn't a streaming service. No, it's a production company. So we need to separate the two. But like I said, the streaming services now are Netflix are producing so much content that they're both producers and streamers. And Netflix, by the way, invests more than any other streaming service in content. They right. invest the Netflix originals. Yeah, they invest billions of dollars into content. Billions. So why why is the narrative not going to them? Yeah, too. That's what I'm wondering. And and then also Disney's really trying to push the Disney Plus, try and push their own streaming service. You have that horrendous quote from Bob Iger too. We all are familiar, so, unfortunately. And, and I want to add some numbers to this because A24 at the same time, it's important to understand where they sit in this landscape. So it, they've been around for about 10 years now. Um, they've been around for about 10 years now. One of the first movies when going through their list that I noted was Ex Machina, which was 2015. That's a movie that deals with the sci-fi space. It's a, I haven't actually seen it. I saw clips in my gender race and IT class and the clips are really good. So I'll, I'll watch it. But that had a $15 million budget, which makes sense because of the special effects that they do. They're creating an entire beautifully realistic cyborg. Right. So that's like, I would classify more as an indie film with, a special budget. Yes. So that's a special situation. Special effects, animation, those things are going to cost extra. Moonlight, however, $4 million budget. That is an indie film. That did win Picture of the Year. Yes. When it came out. And so... Beautiful film. Can't recommend it enough. Exactly. And I just want to contrast the, the two. Moonlight, or part of when I was reading through what makes A24, A24... This is going to kind of be just fluff in A24 a bit, but they wanted to bring movie or indie movies that the the co-founders loved 
to places where they would be seen by a lot more people. It's almost like a curation conglomerate. They want to, they want to respect the audience more. And so a movie like Moonlight that can be shot relatively cheap, cheaply in this landscape of film that tells a beautiful story gets rewarded in the end. And so the, the other bits too. So everything everywhere all at once at the time was the biggest A24 budget. So yes, they had a small budget, but it was the biggest one A24 has ever had. And it was 25 million. And that's nothing. And that's nothing. Bo is afraid 35 million. And that's, you know, that's the new round of money that they got after winning Moonlight or, or doing Moonlight. And they, they could invest into that. And they also have Ari Aster on now multiple films. So naturally they're, they're pushing towards that more blockbuster type. And Bo's Afraid didn't do well box office wise or sales wise as a mm. result. So I, I'm curious to see what they'll do big picture. I would hope that the general direction is that you keep the budgets, you make more on smaller budgets with better writing, better narratives, which is why you got to pay your writers. You got to pay your writers. And they quite obviously recognize that. And we're, I think both of us are very excited that this is happening because it's really important to get at least some sort of ball rolling with this whole thing. We can't be on strike forever. We do have to get back to work at some point, pay our rent and all, but don't get it twisted. Yes, don't get it twisted. They're kind of, I I wish there was a term, and maybe there is, I'm just not familiar, a term for the in-between studios that aren't quite indie, but also aren't Hollywood either. So I I think the, the only reason that we're bringing this to your attention is be smart, be educated on what is going on, really look into the financing and the producers behind these films so that you really get the big and full picture of what this strike is trying to do. And it it really builds into two things. Follow the money. If you follow the money, you'll, you'll find some stuff. You'll find a lot more than you could care to find. The other thing too is in media, in things where you're creating some sort of artifact, whether it's an advertisement, a film, a short film, or even an Instagram post, everything in media is subject to criticism because the intention is for people to see it. And And to make money off of it. And to make money off of it. And so to say that anything's an accident is just, there are accidents that happen in media, but that is very much the exception and not the rule. It's curated, it's intentional, it's deliberate. Even us speaking right now, we're speaking with a tone that is curated, intentional, and deliberate. This is not the way we talk throughout the day, but in this... It, I'd co- say it's pretty similar. It's just, it's our polished selves. It's our polished, but it, it's changed. It's augmented because we are dealing with media. Right. So with the media side in consideration, I thought that this would be a really good time for me to share a reflection I did on the Barbie movie this morning. I had a lot of thoughts spinning in my head and I wanted to write them down so I could have a safe place to keep them. Take it away. So let me open up my 
handy dandy notebook. And let me get reading this passage. Okay, hold on. Just want, I'm gonna just yeah. take my mic out. So you can listen. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm doing an audiobook narration now, but I gotta get all the icks out of me. One of actually the two questions I have for the Barbie movie are one, where does intersectionality fit within the narrative? And two, how should male feminists, more specifically male intersectional feminists, be depicted? To me, the first question makes me think about what intersectional elements are excluded in no particular order, class, race, trans identities, intersex identities, and non-binary identities. It's not a question of if the movie checked all the boxes, rather it's whether the world they built supports those identities. I think not. Secondly, I was upset by how one-dimensional the commentary of men was. They had ample opportunity to flesh out what a male intersectional feminist, or in this case, a male feminist is, but they distilled it down to Alan, who doesn't want to have sex with Barbie and the real-world husband who learned Spanish to talk to his wife. Neither are particularly harmful, in fact, just the opposite. But when that's the extent to which male feminism is depicted, it leaves men with too much room for interpretation. I get that the men should absolutely not shine in this film, but when they are the contrast of the feminine, their depiction carries substantial weight. Then I've been asking myself, where in film do we see a more fleshed out representation of male feminism? And I believe that it only appears in situations where men are alone. The transcendental man, the one that's separated from their position of social power and required to form their own identity, tends to embody characteristics of masculinity that aren't patriarchal. To me, that's more similar to Joel in The Last of Us or Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. Actually, not John, but Sam and Tyrion-ish. Developing one's identity outside the context of power is the path that is most logical towards male feminism. Since patriarchy is a power structure, and equity means leveling power amongst people, men need to be willing to let go of power without fearing losing themselves. Well, I think this thought is sound. I understand that I am a man defending elements of feminism. But I argue that it's because feminist men are so poorly defined that I must try. I can be wrong, and that's not just okay, but important to progress. But to avoid the difficult conversation and fear that I might be wrong is cowardly and reductive. So that's the summary of my thoughts within identifying what masculinity is to me outside the context of patriarchy and how it's represented in media. I thought that what you wrote was beautiful. And it's really hard to remember sometimes that feminism is just as much there for men as it is for women or any gender. And I agree that I, I do wish that that thought was explored a little deeper in the film. And 
although I, I did like some of the jokes that kind of simplified Ken as an airhead type jock kind of guy, there wasn't room for anyone else. And that that is a conversation that I think needs to come out of this film. And hopefully there are some people out there that would be willing to join in that conversation with us. Because like you said in the end of your words that you're going to be wrong, but you're also willing to learn. And that is the only way that feminism will be able to prevail. Like we, women cannot do it alone as much as we would sometimes like to. Feminism is, is for everyone because we know that the patriarchy undoubtedly hurts women, but it also hurts men significantly so. So I, I would say that that is what I want to leave you all with. Go out and watch the Barbie movie. You can still be excited about it and enjoy all of the fun and the buzz and the pink that it's projecting. But remember to be critical. Remember to support your writers and your crew and all of the lovely people who are on strike right now fighting for their livelihood because that's what really matters and don't. Don't ever lose sight of that, even when a crazy marketing budget might be trying to pull you in another direction. I like that. Shall right. we wrap it up? Yes. And with that, we will see you next week for another episode of the Can I Tell You Something podcast. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>